Hello and welcome to Ophthocast, the audio podcast channel dedicated to ophthalmology. We are a team at Ophthocast who strive to provide you audio talks on ophthalmology which are more practical and easily understandable, targeted at students and residents alike. As of today, we stand tall with more than 1000 listeners across the globe. Thank you for taking us there. Before proceeding with this episode, we would suggest you go through our previous episode for a better understanding. After talking about accommodation, we come to the anomalies of accommodation. Let's enumerate them one by one. The major chunk of it consists of an entity called presbyopia. Presbyopia is a condition of physiological insufficiency of accommodation due to reduced amplitude leading to a progressive fall in near vision. It is a part of the normal aging process. Just like the inability of a routine 60-year-old man to run a marathon. The same condition can be achieved pharmacologically. There are drugs which cause pharmacological loss of accommodation, a process called cycloplegia. It's like tying up the legs of a young man so that he cannot run. The next entity is insufficiency of accommodation, where our runner can run, but not far enough for his age. Then comes the ill-sustained accommodation, where the runner starts, but unable to maintain his pace and falls short of the mark. Inertia of accommodation is the problem in accommodation where the muscles are purely lazy. It's tough to get this guy to start running, but once started, he will complete it. Paralysis of accommodation is the term used to denote the condition where the accommodative effort is completely paralyzed. Here, the race doesn't incite even a flicker of movement. Presbyopia, as we mentioned, is a part of the normal aging process. There are various theories put forward to explain the physiology of presbyopia. There still exists many ambiguity as to which theory is more correct. The Helmholtz theory of accommodation is the oldest viable theory to explain both accommodation and presbyopia with maximum agreement. According to this theory, the ciliary muscle contraction in the three distinct layer of fibers results in relaxation of the zonules, rendering the elastic capsule to bulge out. This makes the lens more round. With age, this elastic recoil property of the lens capsule is lost, making this recoil less complete giving less additional dioptric power. An age-related hardening of lens tissue results in decreased elasticity and thus decreased distortion of the lens during accommodation. In accordance with the Shakar's theory of accommodation, many physicians believe that the equatorial growth of the lens makes the zonules lax, thereby reducing the scope of variation in tension. In short, the overgrown lens can no longer be held tightly by the zonules. Many more theories exist, which implicate sclerosis of the nuclear lens tissue, decreased distance between ciliary muscle and lens equator, 
decreasing elasticity of the lens capsule, ciliary muscle dysfunction, loss of elasticity in the posterior zonules or choroid, and even decreasing resistance of the vitreous humor against the accommodating lens capsule. However, the Helmholtz theory still manages to convince the most number of practitioners today. With age, the range of accommodation starts decreasing. And mind you, the aging process starts in childhood. The near point starts to recede at an age between 10 to 20 years. The capability to pump in additional power to focus on to near objects starts decreasing. When do we realize it is a problem? The patient typically starts realizing that it is a problem when the near point recedes further than his usual reading distance. This varies from person to person. A tailor or a jeweler will present this presbyopia earlier than a baseball player. So how do we manage it? The target is to provide the additional power to the patient externally or internally. If a patient walks into your clinic with presbyopia, the first task is to exclude other ocular conditions and narrow down to plain simple presbyopia. Here I mean that the patient doesn't have a vision impairing cataract or a ciliary spasm or cyclopegia. Nor has he been staying awake trying to read a book last night. Before evaluating a patient for presbyopia, the patient should have a relaxed, unstrained accommodation or whatever is left of it. First, give him a complete distance correction. With this, you have placed his far point at infinity. We hand him the near chart and he tries to read. Add plus lenses till he can read the last line at his normal reading distance. He reads the last line satisfactorily at 33 cm with the plus lenses you give him and the prescription is complete. Now let's analyze. His far point was infinity once he is corrected for distance. If the patient can read the small letters as close as 25 cm to his face, that means he is able to pump his lens power by 4 diopters. 25 cm expressed in meters is 0.25 meters and the inverse of it is 4, hence the 4D. Now look at your patient. Your patient is first corrected for distance, then requires additional one diopter to read at 33 cm. At 33 cm, he requires a total of three diopters of accommodation. If one diopter of additional spectacle power does the job, he is able to provide the balance two diopters from his own remaining accommodative capability. From infinity, his near point shifts to 50 centimeters, that is 0.5 meters by his own effort. And you add one diopter, bring it closer to 33 centimeters. However, we are supposed to overcorrect the glasses by approximately half of the patient's own accommodative capability. This is to enable the patient to adjust for small corrections in his near vision for day-to-day -day activities. 
This shifting and additional power can be provided by additional optics, modifying the cornea or increasing the accommodative capacity. The additional optics can be good old spectacles, which is the non-invasive, safest and cheapest options that can be provided. However, it comes with the inconvenience of, you know, the spectacles themselves. That too, the ones that cannot be used for distant vision. The things can be made simpler with bifocals or progressive glasses. But as usual, people want better options. To just remind you, we have spoken about spectacles in our previous episodes. Another option, especially for those patients who also happen to have cataracts in their lens, is to add their power to their intraocular lenses. There are two main ways in which this is achieved. Firstly, having different power in each eye. This way you have one eye focused for distance and the other for near. Secondly, the use of multifocal or accommodative intraocular lenses in both eyes. Multifocal lenses, in their essence, divide the incident light into two different focal points. One for distance and the other for near. This mechanism comes at a cost of losing the overall illumination of the image since at any given time the patient is looking at distance or near and he has only a part of the illumination available to his retina. The other half being out of focus. The accommodative intraocular lenses are designed to vary their cumulative effective power with whatever residual accommodative effort the patient has. Hence, there is no division of the light. However, their performance has been under scrutiny. We would refrain from stepping into the large world of these intraocular lenses since it is a bait for another episode on our podcast altogether. What if your patient is already pseudophakic? Then the options that we have is to modify the corneal curvature of the stroma. This objective can be achieved by use of corneal inlays or refractive surgeries. Refractive surgeries undertaken to correct presbyopia alter the refractive power differently. As a result, we have different areas in the same cornea which focuses the light into different focal points, much like the multifocal lens. One of the most common is presbylasic. Here, the cornea is divided into different zones and laser ablation of stroma is carried out in order to produce different powers in different zones. The one with a higher power in the center and lesser in the periphery is known as the central presbylasic and the inverse is the peripheral presbylasic. What if we try to achieve the same result with concentric stromal ablation with femtosecond laser rather than eczema laser? This idea has been implemented in a technique called intracore. Here, five concentric rings of stromal ablations are made which over the healing time makes the cornea steeper centrally. This gives a higher refractory power centrally. If you recollect, the near reflex has a component of pupillary constriction. Hence, the emphasis on increasing the power in the pupillary zone, that is the central cornea. The central corneal power can be increased by using various implants as well. 
raindrop and flex view are two such intracorneal implants which increase the refractive poser of the cornea in the area of the implant. There is another corneal implant called camera. Camera looks like a very small CD, a disc with a hole in the center, a flat donut. Camera is implanted in the corneal stroma and works by increasing the depth of focus. Once the pupil constricts in the nerve reflex, the implant works as a pinhole giving a very good depth of focus. All these procedures can be combined with refractory surgery for myopia or hypermetropia, commonly for the former. Few experimental studies and trials has described laser procedure on the crystalline lens. However, their metal is yet to be proved. Beyond the modification of the cornea, there are also surgical techniques described to increase the accommodative capability of the human eye. These procedures target the sclera and aim to tighten the meridional fibers of the ciliary muscle. As you would recall, these fibers contract and gives the base for the action of other fibers. The taut meridional fibers will accentuate the accommodative action of the eye, resulting in higher range of accommodation. This can be achieved by tightening the sclera with implants like press view or just simple laser application. However, press view is a reversible procedure and laser is not. After press biopia, we now come to other forms of anomalies of accommodation. In the order we described, the loss of accommodation by cycloplegic drugs are self-limiting and there is no requirement of any intervention to correct them. Insufficiency of accommodation is also termed as premature presbyopia. In most cases, there exists an underlying cause which varies from general debility to lenticular sclerosis to recurrent uveitis. In these patients, the cause is managed first and then we proceed as per the presbyopia management. The condition of ill-sustained accommodation is seen when the ciliary muscles are fatigued. They are already tired of running and can't run anymore. Mostly associated with stress, most of them are reversible with adequate rest. Correction of posture and reading illumination have also shown to help. Inertia of accommodation is suggestive of lazy muscles. These weak muscles require exercise to tone them up. Correction of refractive errors and convergence exercises have proved to be helpful. In cases of complete paralysis of the third nerve, internal ophthalmoplegia or systemic drugs affecting autonomic nervous system, paralysis of accommodation is commonly encountered. Here, there is a complete absence of accommodation. The drug-induced condition is mostly reversible. However, a permanent neurological damage is unlikely to be reversed. Such patients require dark glasses to prevent glare due to midriasis and high plus glasses for near vision. So now we spoke at length about situations where the accommodation is inadequate. What happens if accommodation is overzealous? In cases where a person is engaged in near activity for a long time, his ciliary muscles may go into a tonic spasm 
leading to failure of accommodation to relax. This is known as accommodation excess. An improper prescription of glasses are commonly blamed. This condition is managed with correction of refractive error with cycloplegia. Talking about press biopia and its likes, we have reached the end of today's episode. Hope you have enjoyed this episode. That's all for now. It's Team of the Cast signing off. Do keep us updated on our email of the cast at the rate gmail.com or on our website www.offthecast.com with your comments, feedbacks and demands. Subscribe to us on all leading podcast players by searching for Offthecast. These audios are in no way a replacement to your standard textbook. We strive to be factually correct, but to err is human. Keep us posted if you disagree with anything that has been said in these recordings. We would be happy to make amendments with due credits. Thank you for being with us and giving us your valuable time. Goodbye and Godspeed.